You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. This morning, we're finishing up our series called Upside Down. We've been looking at the stories of Jesus that quite literally turned the world upside down and changed the way that people saw and understood how God was at work. Uh, So we've looked at a lot of these parables, these little short, small, maybe seemingly innocent stories that Jesus tells. But the more people thought about them, the more they realized it changed everything about how they lived and worked and that God was calling them to live different in the world. Now, we've been living different for some time now, and quite honestly, I think all of us are pretty much good with it. We're done. We're ready to move on to the next step. But we are still being called to live different. And as a way of doing that, to do so to protect our neighbor. And that's the story we're going to talk about today, is about a story that Jesus tells about some neighbors and how they interacted and how they connected. And when we think about this, one of the things that Jesus did was, with these stories, began to break down the boundary lines and the concepts of kind of who's in and who's out, and and began to break down the boundary lines that would divide us up into our house or into our apartment or into our condo, the lines that would separate our property from our neighbor's property. And Jesus was really redefining what it meant to be a neighbor and how we seek opportunities across these lines and across these spaces that perhaps we wouldn't have done so if God wasn't challenging us to live in a different way. So that reminded me of um, an experience that we had just a few weeks ago on the 4th of July. And usually on the 4th of July, we get like the little sparklers that you hold in your hand. It just kind of sparkles a little bit. Um, But this year we thought we wanted to go a little bit bigger. Melanie found a a great kind of uh, pack of fireworks that included about 20 different types of fireworks. And uh, she bought that and we brought it home. And I was pretty excited. We hadn't done this in a long time. And um, I was excited for some of the pieces that were in there. And it was kind of a, a sampler platter, if you will. Um, Our youngest son, Sam, wasn't too sure about the fireworks. He wondered if they'd have too much noise or if they'd be too bright or too loud. And we weren't exactly sure what to expect. But we we opened up our garage, and we did this at at about 4.30 (laughs) because we still wanted to get to bed on time, and we didn't want to make a lot of noise at night. So we opened up our garage, and uh, the kids kind of sat up inside the garage, and and I went down to the sidewalk just down the, the driveway and began to set up these fireworks. And we weren't sure at first. So we started with one of the small ones, and we lit it. And we were all so pleased because it turned out just to be a whole bunch of kind of sparks and and light without all the loud sound. And we thought, well, that was a good start. Let's do another one of those. And the next one was a multicolored one. And we got really excited for that one. And we thought, this is good. So we we grabbed another one called uh, the Gold Glitter, and we tried that one. And again, a great light show without a lot of sound. Now, we kept, we kept going through, and all of a sudden, we found this big one, and we kind of sat down, and we lit it, and the show was going well, and all of a sudden, it shot out these, these poppers. I don't know what they're called in the technical world, but it's the ones that just make all the loud popping sounds. Uh, and it felt like it kept going and going and going. Uh, and it, it surprised the children a little bit, maybe scared them a little bit, and we thought, okay, well, We'll, we'll try to make sure to do these in a way that's not scary. So we kept lighting them and kept doing them. And all of a sudden we found as we were getting to the bigger ones in the box, those were the ones that were making more noise and more noise. And I began to get a little bit anxious because I was worried about our neighbors. 
Our neighbors across the street have two young children. Our neighbors next to us have a young child. Um, and most of our street has children. And, and so, and some of them have babies. Yes. Um, so if you don't know, my family is joining us for today. We're kind of test piloting a couple of new ideas that we have. Um, but we were concerned, as Sam just said, that these would disturb our neighbors. Uh, and I got to the point where I, I didn't want to do any more fireworks because I was so nervous of, of what this anxiety might cause for our neighbors or, or if they would just stop liking us or if they would think like, hey, cut it out. Like, we've got life going over here. Um, Thankfully, they came out and began to enjoy the show, so we knew for at least that moment we were good. And what I learned was later that night, we were probably the, quiet, the quietest ones in the neighborhood. Uh, so as I began to think about that in the days that passed, it, that anxiety that I felt about making a lot of noise and perhaps disturbing my neighbors because of my celebration got me thinking about this particular question. Would I want myself for a neighbor. And I want to invite you today as we look at this scripture in this sermon to ask yourself this question, would you want you for a neighbor? And I think that'll help us to think about this parable and how Jesus originally intended it to be heard. So as we reflect on that question, I want to invite us to hear the scripture read this morning. Uh, It's coming to us this morning from Ryan and Liz Zerville. So take a listen. Hi. We're Liz and Ryan Zerovel, and we're glad to share this scripture with you today. From Luke 10, 30-37, Jesus replied, A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan, who was on a journey, came to where the man was, but when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, Take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. What do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? Then the legal expert said, The one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Thank you, Ryan and Liz. Appreciate you sharing the scripture with us this morning um, and thankful that you did that. So before the part that they read, there's this uh, question from a legal expert, someone who was well-versed in the law and knew not the law as we think of today in terms of kind of the legal court-type entities. The law then was the religious law. So this was someone who was an expert in what the scripture said. And so this person comes to Jesus And the question that I think he's asking at the heart of the question is, what is the minimum that I need to do to get to heaven? What is the threshold, the the kind of minimum threshold that if I do that, I'll be able to get to heaven? And what Jesus says is essentially to love God and to be a good neighbor, right? 
the next question that the legal expert could have said was, what is the, the absolute minimum that I need to do, right? If I can, how do I basically, at the most basic level, just check off that I love God and check off that I love my neighbor? Uh, you see, we once lived in this neighborhood a while back, and, and we didn't have an official HOA like we are used to now, especially in this area of Horizon West. But we did have a kind of loose gathering together of people from the neighborhood. And what they would ask us to do each year is to give $20. And I don't even remember what that $20 went towards, whether it was like the maintenance of a sign or the maintenance of kind of a small area. But all we really had to do, I learned, to be a good neighbor was to pay 20 bucks a year. That was the bare minimum expectation of what it meant to be a good neighbor. Pay 20 bucks, you're a good neighbor, you don't, and maybe you're on their kind of list over here of people who didn't engage and participate. And that's what I hear this legal expert doing is saying, well, what's the, the baseline that I need to do to make sure that I make it to heaven? And, and so this legal expert who was well-versed in the law needed to know what is the one thing to do to get eternal life. And I wonder, aside from Jesus' teaching and from all these things, I wonder if that person was just busy. I wonder if he was just busy and just saying, look, I've got a lot going on in life. My life is busy. It's hectic. It's dramatic. Uh, we might add to that right now. It's challenging. It's isolating. It's, it's lonely. It's, it's uncertain. What is, what is the bare minimum I need to do to get eternal life or to get into this? Because I've got a lot on my plate. I don't have a lot of time. I just need the facts, right? And so I wonder if maybe that was where this legal expert was coming from. And more than making him kind of the bad guy of the story, if we did that, we can relate better to him to say, well, maybe I could feel what he's feeling too. And maybe I just need to know what are the basics at this point. Because the truth is we have busy lives also. And it would be helpful in our day today to know what is the basic bare minimum that I need to do to be a good neighbor to those who are around me? What is required of me as a neighbor? Uh, and Jesus answers that question, the legal que expert's question, with a story. Uh, it's a story that we just heard that um, we, we've come to know as the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. And what Jesus does in this particular passage is he takes the word neighbor, which is most often used as a noun, right? A noun we learned in school is a person, place, or thing, right? A, a, a neighbor is a noun. It's a, it's a person, right? So we would define that as a person who is living near or next door. And Jesus takes the noun neighbor, and he turns it into a verb, an action word. So it's not just identifying someone else. It's identifying an action that we would take, a way that we would live, a mindset that we would have. So in the story of the Good Samaritan here, we're told that a neighbor is someone who engages other neighbors in ways that are encouraging and that are good and that are life-giving. And we're also given an example of neighbors who do the opposite. <laughs> Perhaps as we saw in the children's video of, of apples who ignore the other apples around them, right? This idea and this story and this parable become crucial behaviors essential behaviors. We might call these uh, central practices of what it means to be a Christian. The entirety of the gospel is summed up in the idea of loving God and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And if we can get those things right, 
then we've gone a long ways into this journey of what it means to be a Christian. So in Jesus' time, God was always perceived to be up and out. Up and out. And what I mean by that is they always understood that God was, was up there and was out there. That God was, was far up and, and perhaps far away. And was not often seen in the day-to-day aspects of life. That in this everyday, ordinary world that they would have known and that we would see, it was just thought that God was up there in a way, and perhaps involved and engaged, but maybe more at a high level, maybe more at kind of like, a, like an upper management level, and we're just kind of out here grinding it out in the day-to-day. Sometimes I get the same feeling when I, when I drive through parts of our city, of our county, uh, and, and you see some of the largest houses in the area. There's, there's some parts when you drive through, through downtown Windermere, with, and you can just see the houses or the roofs kind of peeking beyond the gates. And you think to yourself, well, those houses, or at least I do, maybe, maybe you don't. I think to myself, wow, th- those people are just kind of up and out. And their lives are just so far removed, and, and they must be so different than what I experience in a day-to-day world. And I recognize that there's probably people who look at what I consider our kind of humble house and say, wow, they must be far up and far out and not engaged in the day-to-day. And, and we... we put these kind of ideas together as humans, and there's really nothing wrong with that at the outset, but we perceive others as as up and out and disconnected from our present reality. And I believe that's what most people thought of God and Jesus when, when, well, not Jesus so much, but God in those times. They perceived that God was far away, and so when Jesus shows up on the scene, everything becomes radically different because God is no longer up and out. God is here and now, and present, and active in my day-to-day world, in our day-to-day world. I've always loved how, how John writes this in chapter 1 of his gospel, when he says, The Word became flesh and made his home among us. Or the way that Eugene Peterson puts it in his translation, the message, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's not God separate from us. That's God down and in and with us. What the Bible is trying to tell us here in that moment is is that Jesus was renting the apartment next door. Or that God bought the house right next to you. right? Or that Jesus lives under you in the condo building that you live in. Right? That God has moved into your neighborhood. But this idea that God moves in next to us. Okay, great. Thank you, Tori. Thank you, April. Appreciate that. Thank you very much for the thumbs up. That was just a quick check to make sure you're kind of still, still with us together. It wasn't. Uh, but it looks like we're good. A huge part of our faith is that God becomes human in the person of Jesus Christ. And so a huge part of that is our practice and our relationship with our neighbors. Now, what this means for us and our faith in particular is that we might be thinking in this moment like, well, that sounds great, Brian. You probably have some really great neighbors, and I do. Like, we love our street. Our street has some amazing people on it. Some of them shoot fireworks off early and worry about others, right? But, but we have a great street. So maybe you're thinking to yourself, like, Brian, you don't know my neighbors. You don't know the people who live around. You don't know what it would take to be in relationship with them, Right? 
let me share a story with you from uh, an experience that we had. The, the most memorable neighbors that I've ever had. Now, I was in graduate school, and we were living um, uh, in kind of a different part of town in, in a different city. And what we experienced was that, that the house that we could rent there, we had a couple of neighbors who were kind of, um, well, they were always up to interesting activity late at night. And it wasn't really uncommon for us to see uh, police cars on our street at various times of the day and night. Um, and, but usually they were just kind of like walking up to the door and knocking and checking on it, right? Uh, what we came to find out as we moved was that the house next door to us that we knew was selling drugs uh, also had an undercover police officer there who was working to kind of infiltrate the ring. Like, this was happening next door to us, and we had no idea the entire time. Quite honestly, they were really nice people. Um, but we were, we were away that weekend, and I think we had done a weekend trip or something like that. And, and as we were coming back home, we got a phone call from one of our neighbors saying, like, um, hey, the street's really busy, and there's a lot of police cars, and some things have been happening, so just kind of be aware as you come home. And what we learned as we got back home and pulled into our driveway, it wasn't a few. It was about 20 police cars lined up all down the street. And a lot of them were kind of centered around our house that we were renting. And the story that we came to learn was that they had kind of made a bust down the street, at the end of the street, maybe about seven, eight houses down. And the person that they were trying to catch ran, and they ran down the street, but they were, they were on a couple of things, right? Like parents, if you pick up what I'm saying, they were on a couple of things. And so they weren't as cognizant as they thought. Uh, and as they were running down the street, they were swer- swerving back and forth, and they actually ran straight into the side of our carport, and it knocked them out, and then they were able to, to apprehend them in that moment. And I would never have believed that story if I didn't look at the side of my carport myself and see kind of like a face print that was right there on the side. It was kind of like, what was it, the Shroud of Torin, right, where you could see Jesus' face, right? But for us, it was the the face print of this person right there against that wall. And that's where they apprehended them, and, and they were already gone, and they were just, the police were just kind of like tidying up the scene and taking statements, right? So, so when you say to me, like, you don't know my neighbors, I say to you, like, you didn't know my neighbors, right? right? We all have those kind of neighbors, and perhaps you don't have a story that matches that. Maybe you do. I would love to hear that when it's safe to get back together again over coffee. But the point here is that we have all different types of neighbors. And neighbors are some of the people who can be the most loving and generous and caring people like we have on our street who are there for you when you need it. Or they can be the kind of people that, for whatever reasons, just antagonize you or, or just upset you. Or what they do in their yard and their property just, just bugs you. And it just makes you so angry. Or it's not necessarily the people who live next to you, but the people that you interact with on a day-to-day basis. Your, your neighbor at work, your co-worker at work. Some people that you see on a regular basis. Man, you just can't stand them. Right? And, and they're the kind of people that make it hard for us to love our neighbors. Right? That's the times when Jesus was living in, when the Levite and the priest in this story, when the Levite and the priest, the ones that we would expect to help, the the pastors and the religious scholars of the day, right? If I'm in trouble, they're the ones I'd want to show up, and they're the ones who just go to the other side of the street. And the ones who demonstrated mercy 
were the ones that were least expected, the Samaritans, the, the arch enemy of the Hebrew people, right? The ones that were seen as just not good enough to be a part of the faith. You would never expect a Samaritan to be a hero in a story told by a Jewish rabbi like Jesus. Never. And yet, as we heard, this is the one who demonstrated mercy. So I think the first step for us is that admitting that being a good neighbor can be a challenge at times is a good first step. And it reminds us that the call of God is not always easy. But I want to remind us that our neighbors are part of God's mission in our lives. Our mission doesn't perhaps call us to go to the rest of the world. I believe that our greatest mission field can be the places right next door to us. Now that doesn't assume that we are better than others. It simply assumes that we know the hope of the world is Jesus Christ and the greatest place that we have to share that can be the people that are right next door to us. That those are the places and those are the people that God is sending us to. And perhaps your story is one where a neighbor shared the good news with you at some point in your life. I mean, lots of people do short-term missions around the world, and I don't want to discount that. I simply want to say you don't have to go far to share the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, someone once said that sometimes it takes us going around the world to serve to realize that we are called right next door. And I believe that wherever you live, whether you would like a house or an apartment that's a little bit bigger, that the place where you are, whether it's the condo, the apartment, the house, or the rental, is exactly the mission field where God wants you to be. Does that mean that you can't be upwardly mobile or or move or change places? No, it just means embrace where you are for better or for worse. And you will find that God can and will use you in life-changing ways right there in that space. God has a mission for you and for us in our neighborhood. And so I want to wrap it up this morning by talking about how we can make neighboring a verb. The door to being a good neighbor, I think, most often opens in times of crisis. In the scripture that we read this morning, the Samaritan had a chance to be a good neighbor because what he saw was a crisis before him. And I believe that his heart simply broke out of a desire to help this person. And he didn't care their religion, who they were, what they had. He just saw a need, and he thought, I can help. What happens in our life is that life happens to and around our neighbors just like it does to us. And it gives us a chance to respond with mercy and compassion. When a neighbor is in a time of need or a crisis, and let's be honest, statistically in our neighborhood, because of furloughs and job laid off, we're thankful that some of those are coming back, but there are still many of us who are in crisis. And let me get real with us for a minute. We live in the suburbs, and everything about the suburbs teaches us to show that we've got it together. And it shows us in this time to project to others, hey, we're still doing okay. Life isn't that bad. Maybe we've had some hiccups. But I believe, that, I, I believe and I know that there's a lot of hurt out there for our neighbors and for ourselves and for perhaps you watching. And if we can be real about that, then we can better serve our neighbors. And so perhaps I'm not advocating for you to go next door and to knock on your neighbor's door with a face mask on and be like, hey man, I know your life is hurting and you're broken. Let me give you some good news. That's probably not the best way to start. 
If you have a relationship, just check in and send a text. How are you doing? How's life? Is there anything I can do to help? Is there any way that I can pray for you? Maybe they're not a Christian, but most people don't get upset when you just offer to pray for them. Maybe they are a Christian, and that's hopeful. Maybe you're in need of help. You know it's easier to give help than to receive help? I can get an amen for that one for myself. Maybe this is a time for you to say, I need help, and things aren't going well, and there's some real things that are messed up in my life right now. And that's a good time to reach out and ask for help. Whether that is a prayer request, when we share prayer requests in a few moments, or maybe sharing a private need. Maybe you didn't know it, but we've been collecting a fund through this whole season um, called our COVID Relief Fund, and we're just trying to find tangible ways to, to buy groceries for individuals who are having a hard time making ends meet. And we've been using the funds that you've been giving to us, and our prayer and our care team has been sharing that out with others, whether it's sending flowers to someone who's experienced a loss. What I'm trying to say is if you have help to give, that's a great way to do it. If you need help, please let us know. We keep it confidential, and it's simply a way of showing our neighborliness to, our, to each other in this season. So this morning, as we've explored what it means to be a good neighbor, what we're doing is modeling what we see in Jesus when God becomes flesh. So instead of crossing the street or avoiding our neighbors, what we're trying to do is to find a way to say with this one question, who would you want for a neighbor? Who would you want for a neighbor? Now go and live that example. So today I want to invite you to identify at least one neighbor that maybe you know is struggling or maybe you think just might need a check-in. And as I lead us in a prayer this morning, I want you to picture their face or their family and to lift them up in your prayers to God this morning. And my prayer for us is that God will open our eyes to the needs of those around us so that we too can be the tangible hands and feet of Jesus in what is a very crazy and very hard time for all of us. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.